The following audio is from Shiloh Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. More information about Shiloh Presbyterian Church is available at shilohopc.org. If you'll remain standing for the reading of God's Word this morning, we are going to be reading again from Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Our sermon text is beginning in verse 24 and going all the way through verse 43. This is the word of our Lord. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time... I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put before them another parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes like a tree, becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and he went into the house. And the disciples and his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are uh, the weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. You may be seated. Let's pray and ask our Lord to bless our time of study together this morning. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we approach you this morning and we ask, O Lord, that you would indeed send your spirit to enlighten our hearts and our minds as to your word and its meaning and its fullness and its beauty. We pray now, Lord, that you would bless us this morning with it, that you would not allow our hearts to be hard 
and that you would protect us from the wiles of the evil one who would steal the seed of your word, that you would watch over us, and that you would grant that it might bear fruit in every one of our hearts. We pray it in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this morning I would invite you for just a moment to do a little exercise with me. Imagine for a moment that you were a Jew living in the first century. And you're living in great anticipation of the coming of the kingdom of the Lord God of Israel. You've heard about it all your life. You've been taught about the coming of the Messiah and his reign in synagogue, Sabbath after Sabbath. You've heard it from your parents. You live always vigilant, always looking for the coming of this kingdom, which the Old Covenant sets forth in all its glory and wonder. You might have meditated, for instance, on Psalm 72. And of the words that we see there in verses 8 and following where we read that the Messiah will have dominion from sea to sea. From the river Euphrates, that is, to the ends of the earth. That the desert tribes will all bow down before him. That his enemies will lick the dust. That the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands will render him tribute. There we have a picture of the Messiah and his kingdom in all its glory as it extends from the furthest known regions of the eastern world to the furthest known regions of the western world in Tarshish. And imagine that this is your understanding of the kingdom of God. And then imagine your excitement, at least initially, upon hearing about one who had come proclaiming that this kingdom had drawn near. Imagine what you would have thought as you saw And heard about the Lord Jesus Christ as he performed the miracles that he performed. As he preaches as one with authority. As he delivers the message unto God's people that the kingdom of God has finally, after centuries and centuries of anticipation, drawn near unto them. But then imagine your disappointment as you began to look at the ministry of the Savior. Imagine what it would be like to see this itinerant preacher as he goes around and as he gathers what really can't be described as a kingdom, but it's more just a loose collection of crowds who have come around him. It's not an impressive crowd of people. He's despised by the religious leaders and the civil leaders of his day. There are no kings coming to bring him tribute from the furthest ends of the earth. And no doubt you would be asking yourself, well, what has gone wrong? Perhaps you would be asking yourself, as the Baptist asked just a little while ago in Matthew chapter 11, are you the one or should we look for another? Or perhaps even as the disciples said to Jesus, even after his resurrection, before he ascends to heaven, Lord, now will you restore the kingdom of Israel? You see, you would have been quite confused. You would have been confused, justly so, because what you had expected with the coming of the kingdom of heaven, well, it's not happening. But as we look at the parables... But as we look at the parables of the kingdom that we have before us today, we see Jesus Christ addressing 
exactly this issue. You see, as he preaches to the crowds, and most importantly, as he preaches to his own people, those to whom it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, what we see him doing this morning is explaining, is expounding the true, previously hidden nature of the kingdom of heaven for his people. And he's doing that by pointing us forward to its future perfection and to its coming advance. It's future perfection and it's come in advance. And of course, that is in stark contrast to its current imperfection and its current insignificance. You see, Jesus is teaching us and them to look at the kingdom with the lens that he would have us examine it through. Namely, the kingdom does not come all at once. It comes in stages. And thus, that's what we need to learn this morning as we heed the teaching of of the Savior here in these parables. Uh, We need to seek to understand what had been previously hidden about the nature of the kingdom by seeing its current insignificant state, especially in Jesus' time, but perhaps to a certain degree even in our own time as it is marked by imperfections and at times seeming weakness. But we need to see these things in light of its future heavenly perfection and its advance in this age. Thus, we're going to look at this text under three headings this morning. First, we're going to see as we examine the parable of the weeds and Jesus' own explanation of the parable of the weeds, the coming future perfection of the kingdom contrasted with the current imperfections of the kingdom. The second, we're going to see as we look at the parable, uh, the parables rather, of the mustard seed and the leaven, the coming advance of Christ's kingdom in this world compared with its present state as Jesus preaches there of seeming insignificance and lack of influence. And then last, we're going to look at verses 34 and 35 and see there that as Jesus expounds for us the true nature of the kingdom by showing us its future perfection and its coming advance, he does so in such a way that unveils for his people the previously hidden nature of the kingdom of heaven which had been veiled from the very beginning of the world. Let's begin then by considering first the parable of the weeds and Jesus' explanation of it. In particular, we're going to focus in on Jesus' explanation of it in verses 36 and following. As Jesus begins to unpack the parable of the weeds, we see him there in 36 do something that we would expect considering what we've already been told about his parabolic ministry. It's a ministry that is meant on the one hand to conceal the secrets of the kingdom of heaven from those whom they're not given to, namely the crowds more broadly considered. And it's a ministry which is focused upon revealing the nature of the kingdom to his people, in particular the disciples. And thus in verse 36 we see him drawing away from the crowds and coming into a house with his disciples, and it's at that point that his disciples begin to probe him about the parable. They say to him, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answers them then by explaining to them particularly the characters in the story of the parable of the weeds in the field. He says first that the one who sows good seed is the son of man. In other words, he identifies the one who sows the good seed as himself. 
And of course, we know from the previous parable that we studied last week in the parable of the sower that Jesus, in his scattering of seed, is meant to represent to us uh, his preaching ministry as he comes and he gives the gospel of the kingdom. And as he scatters the seed, though, we see from the parable of the weeds, as those seeds begin to come up, there are weeds mixed in with them. It's interesting. We see this particularly in the parable. We don't see it touched so much in the explanation, but I think it's important for us to note. What do his servants do when they begin to see weeds growing, as it were, in the kingdom of God? Well, they ask the question. It's a rather remarkable question, isn't it? Did you not sow good seed? I mean, think about that for a moment. What are they really saying there? They're turning to the Son of Man and they're saying, How is it the case that you, that you, the Messiah of God, the one who has the gospel of the kingdom, how is it the case that as you preach, as you spread the seed around the world, sometimes there grows up weeds? How can this be the case? And Jesus, though, as he explains the parable, makes it clear. You see, the Son of Man, the Messiah, is not the only one who is operative within the kingdom of God, is he? Note what he says here as he unpacks the parable. The enemy who sowed them, the weeds, is the devil. Now that's, that's a startling statement, isn't it? Now, up to this point, it it may be possible to read the text as seeing that the devil is only operative in the world. But if you look down at verse 41, you see very clearly that when the reapers come, they have to remove the weeds from out of his kingdom. That's That's a startling statement. What Jesus is testifying to us here is simply this. That the church, the visible expression of the kingdom of God on this world, is not only an arena in which the Messiah works for spiritual good, but it is an arena of spiritual conflict in which when the Messiah goes around sowing seeds, the saboteur comes to seek to undermine his work. And particularly, he seeks to come and sow false seeds, sons of the evil one. We could see these, of course, as false professors who grow up in the midst of the kingdom of God. Now, that's an important thing for us to realize this morning, isn't it? I think many Christians believe, falsely, that when they come in the four walls of the church building, they have somehow sealed themselves off from the spiritual conflict outside of it. But what Jesus is testifying to us here is that that is exactly the opposite. It's exactly the opposite. You see, when you come into the visible expression of the kingdom of God on this earth, you have entered into a field of conflicts, a field of spiritual conflict in which the God of this age is seeking constantly To undermine the preaching of the word of God and the growth of the sons of the kingdom. Of course, this fits very well with what we heard last week in the parable of the sower, doesn't it? Everywhere the gospel goes forth, Satan is there seeking to undermine it, however he may. 
And friends, that truth ought to call us this morning to greater vigilance and caution, even as we live in the midst of the visible expression of the kingdom of God in this world and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It ought to call us to be on guard. To be on guard. Friends, you're in the midst of a battlefield. May not look like it, but nonetheless, you are. But Jesus continues. He tells us here about the reason for the imperfections of the kingdom. Why is the is there, are there imperfections in the kingdom of God? Well, it's certainly not because of the insufficiency of the Savior. That is definitely not why that's the case. Rather, it's because of the work of the evil one in the midst of the kingdom. But then he goes on to tell us the solution to the imperfections of the kingdom. You know what he says there in verse 40. He says, or 39 rather, The harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then... The sons of, or then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Now he lays out here how his kingdom will come to be perfected, doesn't he? He tells us first that at the end of the age, the kingdom will be perfected, not before then. And that's very important for what he's teaching. It will not be the case that the kingdom in this present evil age, in this time between the first and the second comings of Christ, will ever find its expression of perfection. That must wait. That must wait until the end of the age. When the angels go forth, sent by the Son of Man, and gather out of the midst of the church, gather out of the midst of the kingdom, all the imperfections, all the weeds, all the false professors, the hypocrites, those who have been hiding in this intervening period in the midst of the people of God, and throw them in to a fiery furnace. Of course, here we have one of those examples where Jesus... The Jesus who our world likes to present as kind and gentle and harmless speaks to us about the truth that he is not only gentle and lowly, but he is also a Christ who will judge all mankind and speaks to us here directly about the sobering reality of the existence of hell. And simultaneously he tells us about the glories of the sons of the kingdom, how they will shine like the sun. That's a beautiful, a beautiful phrase that he uses there. No doubt the shining that takes place here is that beautiful glorification of God's people as they look upon the Lord Jesus Christ and become like him and become perfect refractors of the glory of our God in him. But as we look at this, we, we have to meditate on how this affects our own perception of the kingdom even now. The first thing we have to say immediately is that judgment might be delayed, but judgment is inevitable. 
And this is a warning to those who are in the midst of the church, who are in the midst of the kingdom, and yet who are not true sons of the kingdom. You note that in the story, uh, those weeds who grow up in the midst of the kingdom, they look, they look like sons of the kingdom initially, don't they? But as time wears on, their difference becomes, becomes obvious. It's clear that they are of a different species. They're of a different genus. They are not sons of the kingdom. Now, I want to say very clearly to you here this morning, friends, it is very possible for you to be a member of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ visibly and outwardly, to be a member of this kingdom from an external perspective and not be a son of the kingdom. That's very clear from this passage. And it's a stark warning to those of you who are here this morning who draw near to God with your lips, with your hands, but not with your heart. It's a sobering warning. But it's one that I would invite you to heed and to turn to Christ even now. The same Christ who is a frightful judge is also a gentle and lowly Savior who beckons sinners, even those who have been hiding as false professors in the midst of the kingdom of God, to come unto him and to find access to the Father and to find the right to become sons of the kingdom. But it's not just a warning to the false professor. It's also a great boost to the confidence of the Christian. Because it teaches us here, as Jesus unpacks this for us, that what we have heard about the kingdom and all its glory and all its perfection, well, it's not wrong. We just thought it was going to happen a little bit differently than it's actually going to happen. You see, the Christian in this world lives with the imperfections of the kingdom, but they look forward to a day. They look forward to a day when the kingdom will be perfected. That is to be the posture of the Christian in this age, isn't it? Cautious, watchful, even over themselves in the midst of the kingdom, and yet hopeful. Hopeful that one day the Lord will cleanse his kingdom and present his church as a spotless bride before his Father. But the future coming perfections glories of the heavenly kingdom of glory. That's, that's not the only remarkable aspect of the kingdom's future that Jesus unpacks in these parables. As we move from considering the parable of the weeds to the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven, uh, we see that Jesus here unpacks for us another aspect of the kingdom's future, which is essential for the believers listening to him at this time, particularly his disciples, and essential for us to understand. And that is that he points to the fact that while the kingdom in his own day looks very insignificant, and it looks very weak, and it looks somewhat irrelevant to the world around it, there will be a day when the kingdom will be marked by growth and advance in this world. Look at what he says here in verse 31. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of a mustard seed 
that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. You see what he's saying here? It's quite easy to figure out. He's saying that while we may look insignificant at this moment, while we might look like a ragtag group of uh, you know, uh, of poverty-stricken disciples who were gathered from the lowest rungs of Israelite society, while uh, the, the, uh, the Caesar in Rome may ha- have no desire to know what we're up to now, he may not care, nor may even the, the regional rulers, and certainly not those at the very ends of the earth, uh, they seem totally irrelevant to them. Uh, but there is going to be a day where the kingdom of God experiences exponential growth and when that happens the kingdom which now is seen as just a mustard seed will spread out and it will cover a massive area and it'll be surprising like the seed of a mustard plant that is the smallest of the seeds that they would have been familiar with in their day and yet grows into one of the largest of the plants in the garden the kingdom will advance in size. But not only in size. You know what he says here in the parable of the leaven. And these parables, they, they speak to the same thing in the sense that they speak to the future coming advance of the kingdom, but they do it in two different ways. The parable of the mustard seed focuses in on the numerical growth of the kingdom. But in verse 33, we see the parable of the leaven focuses in more upon the growth in its influence. You see, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Flour doesn't grow. It doesn't multiply because leaven is added to it. But every piece of the leaven, or every piece of the flour, rather, is changed is influenced by the leavening effect of the leaven when it's put in the midst of it. You see, what he's saying here is that the kingdom, while it may be insignificant now, will permeate every aspect of this world to the point where there will be no place where you can go and escape from the influence of the kingdom of heaven. a remarkable statement. Both of these statements are remarkable statements. And you can imagine how remarkable they would have been in that time. Now, we look back with the benefit of the last 2,000 years of human history, and we look at what Jesus says, and we say, yep, that's right. That's right. We can look around ourselves even this morning, and in in the midst of our own body, we have representatives of all sorts of different nations which have come under the influence of the gospel of the kingdom. At this very moment, as far west as Seattle and as far east as Singapore, we can find those who bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. We can find the kingdom of God and its imprint in this world. It doesn't matter where you're at, even in the heart of post-Christian Europe. You can't walk down the road without seeing a church building and seeing the leavening influence of the kingdom of God. You cannot escape from the influence of the kingdom. It may not be positive, 
in the sense that your culture embraces it, but it is inescapable in this world, is it not? Now, I have to say, as I was preparing this sermon this week, this may be the most remarkable thing about this section of the text for me, because as I meditated upon it, I realized the indisputable fact that what Jesus speaks in these verses has come to pass. It has happened. It's well documented. We can go read books about it. No one in our culture disputes the reality that what started off as this small, weak, ragtag group of Jewish peasants, really, would come to dominate the history of the world. It's remarkable. It's remarkable. But it also teaches us, even now, as we look around the kingdom, as we look around the church, more broadly considered, I think we have a tendency to be quite discouraged. Now, let's be honest. I mentioned Europe earlier. We could say the same of many of the mainline churches of our own nation. It seems from our perspective that much of the work of the gospel which has been done up to this point, people are working like beavers to undo it. And yet, what we learn about the kingdom in these parables ought to encourage our hearts to. Because what we learn is that this kingdom is a kingdom which advances. And it's a kingdom which spreads. And it's a kingdom which is inescapable in its influence. You see, while we may be in a time of ebb, while we may be at a time of declension in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can still have confidence, friends, that the gospel of the kingdom will move forward even in its imperfections and I grant that there are a lot of imperfections in the kingdom of God but that does not take away from the truth that it is a powerful kingdom led by an undefeatable king but as Jesus then turns from these parables and Matthew gives us a bit of commentary here on what has just taken place as he often does in his gospel, he tells us that the parables that Jesus has been speaking to the crowds were, uh, were uh, remarkable for this particular reason. First, he notes here in verse 34, of course, again, that Jesus didn't speak to the crowds except in parables. He tells us, again, reiterating the principle of parables that we've seen throughout from, verse, or from chapter 13 onwards, that Jesus uses parables when he speaks with the crowds to conceal the secrets of the kingdom of God. But we also see something even more remarkable as we turn to verse 35, because it's in verse 35 that, that Matthew tells us what he believes is taking place here. And, of course, he's inspired. This is what's taking place here. He tells us that as Jesus has spoken these parables, he has been fulfilling the scriptures. Particularly, he points here to Psalm 78, which we just sung a few minutes ago, and to the first several verses of that psalm, which tell us this, that I will open my mouth in parables and I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. He tells us first that even Jesus' method of teaching testify to the reality that he is the Messiah of God. 
Even the way he speaks to the crowds testify to his true identity. But even more importantly than that, he tells us what exactly it is that we have been taught in these parables. Very clearly here, as he opens his mouth in parables, he utters what has been hidden from the foundation of the world. You see, what Jesus has been doing as he's shown forth the imperfection of the kingdom in light of its future perfection, and as he set forth the current insignificance of the kingdom in light of its coming significance and dominance in the world, what he's been doing there is he's been showing forth to us what was very difficult to see in his own day, which is that the true nature of the kingdom of God, which had been hidden from the foundation of the world, was that it has, in a sense, a two-stage unfold. On the one hand, the kingdom is here. It is here even though it is imperfect. It is advancing even though it is imperfect. It is gaining the victory in the world even though it is imperfect in this present age. It's here. But it is not consummated yet. And he unveils to us something that would have been very difficult to understand from the Old Testament. Which is that even though the kingdom looks as it does in our age, it will wait. We will have to wait until the next to see it come in its perfection. Now, in one sense, you could say that's a little bit of a disappointing revelation because we really wanted the kingdom to come in its power now. <laughs> and of course, I think it would have been in some ways to the people around Jesus at that moment. And yet, it's a necessary revelation, isn't it? Because what Jesus does is he exposes the true nature of the kingdom of God to these people as he orients the believer to their current position in the history of God's redemption. He teaches them how they are to conduct themselves, how they are to look at their situation in this kingdom, and how they are to motivate themselves by looking forward to the advance and the perfection of this kingdom. Think about that for a moment. Imagine if you were a Christian in the very earliest days of the church and you were looking around, much like these disciples who had gathered around Jesus at this time were, no doubt, looking around at this small subset at the time of the Jewish religion, at least according to the Roman Empire, who was constantly being persecuted every which way you turned. The Jews hated you. The Romans hated you. Basically, everybody hated you. And you were it would have been clear to you that you occupied a position of weakness. Not only you individually, but you as a group, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the kingdom in this world was in a position of great weakness and seeming vulnerability. Imagine what it would have been like, but then imagine how these parables and what Jesus is teaching us here would have come as a comfort to you. On the one hand, yes, you're weak. You're small. You seem insignificant. But on the other, you will not stay insignificant. The kingdom will advance. And the kingdom will one day be glorious. Imagine what it would have been like to live in the Middle Ages and to be someone who was truly following the Lord Jesus Christ and yet who looked around themselves and saw all the corruption of the Roman church. Imagine what that would have been like. It must have been heartbreaking to see every which way you turned, nothing but corrupt 
and wicked individuals occupying almost all the positions of authority in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You would have looked upon the kingdom of God and you would have said, Lord, why? And you would have prayed that he would purge it. And yet this parable comes and it tells you why. And it tells you that he will purge it. And it gives you confidence that the word has not failed, that the kingdom is not being defeated. But it gives you confidence that even in its state of imperfection, it is headed for perfection. And we don't have to imagine what it would be like in our own day to see, as we've already noted, many discouraging things happening in the church all around us. To look around and to see prominent Christian leaders apostatizing, falling into sexual immorality, doing all kinds of strange things, becoming false teachers. And we look at this parable and we say, the Lord told us it would be the case. The Lord told us it would be the case. And yet we look at these parables and we look forward. We cultivate our heavenly mindedness. We long for the coming of our Lord who will set things right in the church and will usher in his kingdom in its perfections. What Jesus has done here is he has provided clarity, comfort, and confidence to his people living in this in-between time. And we can be thankful for that. We can rejoice in the reality that what had been hidden about the nature of the kingdom from the very beginning of the world has now, by the Lord Jesus Christ, been expounded and explained unto us so that we can see where we are in the scheme of the history of redemption in light of the coming glories of the perfection of the kingdom And we can take confidence in the advance of the kingdom in this world, even in all its imperfections. Let us have that mind in us as we leave this place today. Let us be those who, even while we recognize the imperfections of the kingdom, look forward to the glories of the kingdom and go forth with confidence in the success and the spread of the kingdom. For the glory of our God and the good of his people. Amen.